Well, it is good to be back in uh, Illinois, green Illinois. Uh, we've been gone for three and a half weeks, uh, our family has. In California, we left, it was really brown, we've come back and it's been green. Uh, we had a, a great time. Uh, we settled our daughter, Carissa, uh, soon turning 18 years old, to a place called Jackson Hole Bible College. And uh, parents often talk, and I've read a lot about how emotional it can be to drop a child off in college. I remember the day when I went to Knox College and mom and dad, you were there and you dropped me off and you just kind of drove away and I was like, okay. I mean, we greeted and probably hugged each other and shared some things with each other, but I was expecting a more emotional time and it really wasn't. I think some of that is because uh, Chris has already been to some school. She's already been in, in uh, Mexico all summer long and then um, just... Being off, it's not so bad. Um, and also, just we know she's in a great place. Uh, really encouraged by the pastor of the church where she's going to be and really encouraged by the things she's going to learn. Yvonne and I both felt like, why can't we come here instead? Uh, just, it's a, it's a great thing. We had, uh, we're, we're settled back, all ready to attack this next semester is what we're ready to do. Um, had a great time here yesterday uh, with a youth game night. That, that video, I want to just explain that video a little bit. We, uh, in an effort just to continue to unite with other like-minded churches in the area, we had uh, combined in five churches, uh, Red Brick Church of Stillman Valley, Morning Star Church of Rockford, First Baptist Church of uh, Freeport, and Mount Morris EV Free Church. Um, we're here. Another church, we invited a church in Pecatonica. They couldn't come. Um, just with some events going on. But we had 85 teenagers out here in the yard and uh, playing water games. First of all, we, we came for a time of games and then had time of worship, which was led by a, a band from Morningstar. They did a great job. Steve Rios from First Baptist Church preached, opened the Word for about half an hour. The kids really challenging them to, to live for Christ, uh, live for eternity rather than living for today. And then went out and the kids got soaked and drenched and then had pizza and it was a, it was a great time. Uh, we're hoping also with these, these uh, churches, we're planning a, uh, a winter retreat for all the uh, kids as well. It just combines resources. Um, a couple churches are big enough to have full-time youth pastors, so it really helps us. Um, it's just a great time to be able to have an experience like that. Um, and, and these are the men that have come here and they preach here in this pulpit. We've tried to help and serve them as churches as well. So that's what that video was about. I told this, maybe you give it like a one-minute quip, and that was a, a one-minute deal of the church. Well, a good number of us have been engaged in memorizing the, the fighter verses uh, from Bethlehem Baptist Church. If I'm just curious, how many of you have been memorizing those? You just kind of put your hands up. Okay, a good portion of you. Uh, well, for the past um, seven weeks, I think Psalm 91 has been the focus. Just a couple verses one week, a couple verses the next week, a couple verses the next week, a couple verses the next week. And technically, it's all finished today. And so, while it was on our minds, I thought it would be good to preach it. Now, those of you who have memorized this, I, I hope that you see just the value of memorization in terms of opening the Word and the Bible and just how much it helps. Uh, I've, our family's just been meditating upon it. We've said it two, three, four times every day on vacation, just as we've learned through the, the whole psalm together. Um, and what I'd like to do is uh, just quote it for you because we have memorized it. If you have it memorized, or you say, why don't you just say it with me? Or if you're just a verse you memorize, say, say it whatever you can. So I want all of us, Bible shut, okay? Don't open your Bibles, okay? Keep them shut. And uh, I'm just going to say through it. And I am doing it in the ESV, so if you're in another version, you can still say it. That's okay. We'll just kind of be all together. Whatever you've done. We'll, we'll see how this turns out, Okay. And you might mess me up, so that's okay. So, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 
10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you've made the Lord your God, we place the Most High who is my refuge, no evil will be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because He holds fast me in love, I will deliver Him. I will rest Him because He knows my name. When He calls to me, I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. I will rescue Him and honor Him. With long life, I will satisfy Him and show Him my salvation. Good. I hear some rumblings in the crowds. It's very helpful. Uh, I'll get to a reason why Psalm 91 would be a good psalm for all of us to memorize. Uh, It's good for your families to do that together. Parents, let me just tell you, just exhort you a little bit towards Bible memory. A lot of times we just say, kids, go do your Awana program. Go memorize all the verses because it's important. And they don't see mom and dad memorizing. And what you're teaching them is, well, it's just important to memorize verses when I'm small. But when I'm old, I don't need that memory stuff. And so, parents, I really encourage you to memorize with your kids. Your kids will fly through it. You will struggle. And as they see you struggle, it will make an impact. My parents, having memorized things and seeing them still trying to do things at age 77, and I'm not telling you my mom's age, but she's close, okay? Um, It's encouraging to me to continue to go and just continue to let God's Word come in fresh to our hearts rather than just relying upon those things we learned as a little child. Well, there is Psalm 91. I trust that you heard all the promises of protection. That's what the psalm is all about. It's one of the most famous psalms of all the Psalter. It is called the Soldier's Psalm because it's been prayed many times by soldiers as they have gone off into battle and it's entirely appropriate for them to do so because it speaks to the protection that God will give. In fact, one woman, Jill Boyce, has such a huge heart for the military and the comfort that Psalm 91 can bring to those in the military that she's made it her mission to get a bandana with Psalm 91 printed on it to every serviceman or servicewoman who wants one. Just wanting to put this in the hands of servicemen just because Psalm 91 is such an impactful Helpful psalm. I've entitled my message this morning, Safe in God. That is what this psalmist is all about. This psalm is all about being safe in God. The principle, you can see, is set forth there in verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, open them to uh, Psalm 91. Again, I'm I'm in the ESV this morning. uh, So that certainly shouldn't mess you up. The reason, by the way, why we memorize the ESV is because the fighter verses put a little jingle and a little song to it. I could sing the song to Psalm 91 this morning, word for word, but I won't do that for the sake of your ears. You will thank me later. Psalm 91, the first verse by outline is this, simply the principle. This sets the stage for the entire psalm. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And there it is. If you dwell in God, you will experience divine protection. This verse is filled with imagery. There's the imagery there of the shelter. There's the, the shadow. The, the shelter is a place of covering. The King James literally translates this the, the secret place. It's a place of protection that the destroyer knows nothing about. Any attacks that come upon you when you dwell in the shelter of the Most High will be fruitless. I think back to World War II days when it's common for those in Europe to have bomb shelters. When the enemy aircraft began to attack, air raid sirens would sound just like that, just like that uh, um, ambulance outside. You know, and the, the forces were coming. And so what would you do? You, you'd find yourself down in a hole in an air raid in a bomb shelter. And uh, they're often made of corrugated iron, buried in the ground, generally quite small, maybe holding about six people or so. But, but the bombs could go overhead, and I don't care what, what went overhead in, in general, unless there was some freak, you'd be safe there in your bomb shelter. That's the idea here. You dwell in the shelter of the Most High, and you will be in safety. It's also here talks about the shadow. You'll abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Now, 
that is a, a, a comfortable place, a protected place. Now, we just got back from California. And uh, for those of you who have been in maybe California or Arizona where the heat is intense, there is a big difference between being out in the sun and being under the shadow. Uh, there's just something about the, the dry heat that makes being in the sun just especially painful and scorching upon you. But when you get in the shade, it makes a huge difference. And remember, the, the Scriptures are written in Israel. Israel's climate is much like that of California. There's a big difference between the shade and the, the sun that we don't quite get out here. But the, the idea there is just the protection, the protection from the, the hot, damaging rays of the sun. And there's the principle Right over and over and over again in this in this psalm. If you dwell in God, you'll experience His protective care. I just want to help give you a few examples, some pictures of this. As you know, we've had a dry summer, and uh, for us in Illinois, it means crops are destroyed. Um, farmers are facing the brunt of that. We will face the brunt of that later as the price of corn, as the price of um, cattle increases. Our food prices will increase, and we'll face that. But for us, it's meant the crops aren't so good. For those in the West, it means fires. And fires have been burning. I'm not sure if you know, you probably do know this. Colorado, Washington, Idaho, California, Oregon, even as far south as Texas this summer. Um, hundreds of thousands of acres have been destroyed by fire. Thousands of homes have been destroyed by fire. I, I want to show you here a picture about a home in uh, Washington. Can you imagine that? About to burn. I mean, this, you can obviously tell the, the, the fire is coming from this side upon the home. And the photographer who caught that, you know, is, I don't know what he was thinking, but look what happened. It's amazing, huh? Um, that is Psalm 91. You dwell in God, and the danger will come. And there will be a protective hand around you so that you won't be burned and scorched. It says it over and over in Psalm 91. A good picture of that. About two years ago, just November 22nd, 2010. You remember the tornado that touched down in Lust Park? I think it was Lust Park. Is that right? Is that right? Uh, Argyle Road, up, up near the... Huh? In Caledonia, up near um, the, the Hooks where they live. They have some friends, Don and Vicki Anderson, who's basically their farmette that they lived on, their farm uh, was, was wiped out, was hit pretty bad. And uh, they put an email out to everybody at church, hey, if you want to come help clean up. Well, we, we responded to that and we helped clean up. And what I witnessed was amazing. In just a few short seconds, things there were just destroyed, except for their house. And so I called Don yesterday and I, I said, you know, can I get the details of what happened on that day? He said he was the only one at home that day outside doing work. He's farming. He does some organic farming and uh, labor intensive. He's outside. The weather was, out, was looking dark and threatening, he said. He went inside to check the weather. And as he went inside, he, he said things. The wind was picking up. He still didn't think it was too bad. He said he looked out the south window. It was gray. And then the wind really began to pick up. And he said, I need to go someplace. On his way down into the basement before he even got there, the tornado touched down and wiped out their home and their land. And he said they lost a hundred trees, they lost a barn, they lost their garage, they lost an outbuilding. Nothing was left standing except their house. Um, they only had minor damage, the shingles and the siding. And the tornado ravaged their property, but yet somehow the, the hand of God was protecting their home. And you just think about the implications of, of that. Two years later, they're still affected by the devastation of the tornado. Um, still, still trying to recover and, and come back from these buildings that were down, messes that were made, and all these trees that were down. But their daily lives weren't disrupted so much because they still had a place to sleep. They, they still had clothes. They still had a, a kitchen to use. None of their belongings were destroyed. And Don said, here's my quote, he said, it was amazing how it was all protected. And Don and Vicky are believers. They're very involved in their church. Host a prayer ministry in their home. Some of their children have been or are in full-time ministry. They've made the Lord their God their refuge and God has been their shelter for them. God has placed them in His shadow. And that is what Psalm 91 is about. If we, if we make our refuge in the Lord, God will be our shadow and our protection. So the picture, it's gone now, but that's okay. 
a picture of the house, a trust that's in, ingrained in your mind. Or, or if you go to the Anderson's place, I'm not sure, have they rebuilt many of their buildings yet? Or not? No? Okay. So if you, if you can go there, even today, you can probably see the house stands strong and tall and everything else around was destroyed. God just had His hand upon them and protected them. And that is the, the principle of Psalm 91. For the sake of hanging your thoughts, my outline comes in, in verse 2, the pledge. Here's where the psalmist pledges to God of where He will dwell. He says, I will say to the Lord, or I will say as the NIV says, of the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And the psalmist here really makes a pledge. You should see that there in the first phrase there. I will say to the Lord. In other words, this is the commitment that I am making. God will be my refuge. God will be my fortress. God will be the only one to whom I turn. God will be the only one in whom I trust. God is the one who I'm going to rest in. You see the imagery there also. He's saying, I'm going to have Him be my refuge. I'm going to have Him be my fortress. A refuge and fortress are places of safety. right? They're, they're places where I'm, going to, I'm just going to trust and rest in the safety there that God has for me. So heavily fortified from the attacks of the enemy. His pledge. I'm committing myself right there. I think that helps us to know a little bit what it means in verse 1 to, to dwell in God. It, it means to say to everybody, it means to say to the Lord that, that my hope is only in Him. And of course, for us New Testament believers, the same is true about Jesus. Right? And God and the Trinity is Jesus. It's us saying, I am trusting and hoping and placing all my eggs in one basket in Jesus. And there's the pledge. And my question is to you, have you made such a pledge to the Lord? This is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. It's to say, God, my, my hope is totally in You. We, we sung at the youth gathering last night, all I have is Christ. Alleluia. All I have is Christ. That is the cry of every Christian. And if that's not your cry, you're not a Christian. Have you done that? Is God your refuge? Is Christ your refuge? Has God known that? Does everybody else know that? That's what it means. You know, there are many who trust in themselves. They trust their own abilities. They trust their own strength. They trust their own intelligence rather than trusting the Lord. This is the American way, right? Self-trust. You can do it. Just do it. The Nike logo is America. But that's not biblical. Biblical, it's all I have is Christ. Christ is my refuge and my, my trust. So the psalmist is modeling for us. He says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And, and let me just say, the whole principle of the psalmist, you trust in the Lord, it will bring blessing and protection upon your life. But if you trust in yourself, it will bring curse upon your life. Jeremiah 17, 5-8 Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. He's like a shrub in the desert, does not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, an uninhabited salt land. But blessed is the man who trusts the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. There's the imagery of Psalm 1, which is a little bit different than the imagery of Psalm 91. The imagery of Psalm 1 is that, that you're steady by the stream of water. You're going to be able to endure. The imagery of Psalm 91 is that you're so wrapped up in God, you're in a shelter and protected by His hand. The message is the same. Those who choose to trust in themselves will face the curse of God, but those who choose to trust in the Lord will find protection and help even when the world is crashing down around them. You know, and this is the aim of my message. You say, Steve, what do you want to see as the fruit of your message? I want to see all of us trusting in Jesus, placing all of our hope and all of our refuge and all of our trust and to dwell in Him. Well, Psalm 91 is a special verse in the life of our family, especially my mother. Okay? I have another picture that's, you know what, maybe it borders on being morbid strange a little bit, but it makes the point excellently well, okay? Here's, here's the picture. Alright, they're not dead yet, okay? They're alive and well. In fact, there's only one date there, and if you're quick, you can kind of figure out um, 
uh, how old my mother is. Um, <laughs> a few years ago, they purchased their burial plots just south of their home, about a quarter mile. I've been there. Um, they, in the past, I think right when you got it, you've shown other people. I remember one time I was golfing with my dad and Bob Clinton, and, and uh, he, he shows, Bob, Bob, you want to see this? Because it was near the golf course, and he showed Bob this thing. He's standing right there, and Bob was like, ooh, that's a bit strange. <laughs> Each of the sides of the tombstone have a, a verse placed underneath their name. And what does it say right there? Let's say it together. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Psalm 91, verse 2. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment because it makes such a, such a good point here at verse 2. As long as this earth stands, as long as their graves become undisturbed, this will forever be my mother's testimony. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. She has her testimony in stone. Declared it for the world to see. Whatever be remembered of my mother, right? People walking by. You ever walk through a, a, a cemetery? Read what's on the different tombstones? For all the people maybe who just happen by, you know, whatever, every three every year, whatever, they don't know my mother from anybody, but they know one thing. She's declared she's going to trust in the Lord. In stone for all time for the world to see. And so I ask you, is this your testimony? Have you made it known to the world? Do others know this about you? Or is this just mere words? Is it the way you live? Is it the way that you deal with life? Here the psalmist makes his pledge. I will say of the Lord, He's my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now this is my longing, that we would be a community of people who would place our trust and hope in the Lord entirely. See, because it's a good thing to be safe in God. And, and when you trust the Lord like that, His, His hand will be around you. In fact, that is my third point here, the protection. In verses 3-16, through 16, we're just going to see the security that we have in the Lord. We have 14 verses. Verses 3-16. to 16. And over 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 and over. Twenty-six times I counted. A promise of protection. A promise of protection. A promise of protection. Let's just look at them. And we're not even going to have time this morning to look at them in detail. But look at the first one. Verse 3. He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. That's from the, the bird trapper who's going to trap you. There's one. Number two, he's going to deliver you, still verse three, from the deadly pestilence. Those are diseases. It's plagues. Verse four is number three. He will cover you with his pinions as God is going to protect you. Number four, under his wings you'll find refuge. There it is. You're finding refuge under that. Verse five comes with number five. You will not fear the terror of the night. Six, you'll not fear the arrow that flies by day. The terror of the night might be the things that go bump in the night. It might be a military that attacks you. The arrow that flies by day. I mean, this is a military coming and attacking you, right? When the planes are overhead and you're in your bomb shelter, which is the Lord, you're not going to fear. Number seven, verse six, the pestilence. You will not fear the pestilence that stalks in darkness. This is the, the diseases, perhaps, that come, that stalk in darkness, kind of uh, below the surface. You don't see. There's been an outbreak recently, I think, of West Nile virus in Texas, if I remember and people are scared of that. I remember when I was uh, traveling one time to Nepal, the swine flu broke out, or maybe some bird thing broke out. And, and I was in China, landing in, not China, where was I? I don't know, Bangkok maybe, maybe Hong I don't know where I was, some Asian country. And, and all, they all had masks on like this because they were scared of the, the deadly pestilence that comes in darkness. Because they didn't see, they didn't know, and so they cover it up. But if you trust in the Lord, you don't need to fear that. Number eight, the destruction that wastes at noonday. There is just, just destruction, whether that's natural destruction or whether that's <clears throat> people that come, whether it's the sun, whatever. Uh, number nine comes in verse seven, about, talking about a thousand falling on your side, ten thousand at your hand, but you only, it's not going to come near you, is what it says in verse nine. Lots of people are going to fall down, but it's not going to come near you because you've trusted in the Lord. Number ten, <clears throat> verse eight. 
You're only going to look at your with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. And therefore, so you will only look with your eyes. That is, a thousand, ten thousand are falling all around you. And the worst that you're going to get is you're just going to see it. Because, why? Because you've made the Lord your dwelling place. There again is another pledge there in verse 9. You've made the Most High as your refuge. Okay, number 11. Uh, promise of protection comes to verse 10. No evil should be allowed to befall you. Evil's not coming upon you because you're trusting the Lord. Number 12, no plague comes near your tent. The plague, you think about Egypt, the plagues. It's not going to come near you. It's the promise here of protection. Okay, number 13 promise, found in verse 11. He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in other ways. God's going to send angels to protect you. Number 14, verse 12. On their hands, the angels are going to bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Let's see. I messed up. I'm number 15 now. The 15th promise of protection coming in verse 13. You will tread upon the lion and the adder. These dangerous animals. You're going to tread upon them. And number, let's see, 16. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. You'll trample these underfoot. They're not going to hit you. They're not going to attack you. You're going to be safe from them. Number 17, found in verse 14. I will deliver him. Why? Because he holds fast to me in love. Right There it is. I'm dwelling in God. I'm holding fast in love to Him and He's going to deliver him. Verse 18, I will, I'm sorry, verse 14, number 18, I will protect him. That's just God is going to protect you. Why? Because you know my name. Verse 15, number 19, when he calls, I will answer him. Number 20, I'll be with him in trouble. Number 21, I will rescue him. Number 22, I will honor him. 23, I will satisfy him with long life. 24, and show him my salvation. 24 promises. They all say the same thing. Different angles. But they talk about the protection that is ours as we dwell in God. Now, they span the spectrum. Protection from disease. Verse 3. Verse 6. Protection from terrors at night. Attacks by the day. Verse 5. Protection from the wicked. Protection from fierce animals. At times, the protection comes in the form of angelic protection, like verse 11 says. Sometimes, even as is God's personal promise of protection. Look at how the voice changes there in verse 14. This is now God speaking. From verses 3 to 13, this is just a psalmist giving promises and protections. But here in verse 14, we have God Himself saying, because He holds fast to me in love, I will deliver Him. I'll protect Him because He knows my name. When He calls on me, I will answer Him. I'll be with him in trouble. I'll rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. It's a little bit like we sang today. Right, take your hymnal. Look at uh, hymn number 408. How firm a foundation. There's a change in voice in this hymn. I'm not sure if you know this, but stanza one. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith and His excellent word. What more can He say than you He has said to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? You've fled for Je- to refuge for Jesus. You're on a firm foundation. And then the rest of the, song, of the hymn is like God is talking Himself. You can see the quote mark right there. Fear not, I am with you. O be not dismayed. For I am your God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand. I'm going to help you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to strengthen you. And that's what verses 14 and 16 is. This is God saying, Himself stepping in, says, I am going to give you protection. And you can read verses 3 and 4 yourself. But it's exactly the same thing about how God will deliver, protect, answer, and be with us, and rescue us, and honor us, and satisfy us, and show us our salvation if we but trust in Him. Okay, you say, how can this be? How can God promise such grand and lofty things? Well, it's because of His sovereignty. It's because of His supremacy. Because God is in control of all things. He's able to protect us from all things. Because the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good, God knows all about the fowler who's trying to capture you. Because the darkness is not dark to the Lord, and the night is bright as day, there's no terror of the night that will come upon you unawares to His notice. He can protect you. Because every plague comes from the finger of God, you have no need to fear the pestilence or the plague because 
He's the one that brings the pestilence and the plague. Because His angels are mighty ones who do His Word, obeying the voice of His Word, He can command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. It's the sovereignty of God that allows Him to make these promises. It's been said that Psalm 91 is the Old Testament equivalent of Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. God's actively working in the lives of those who love Him. God's actively working in the lives of His people, those whom He has called. We can trust Him that whatever comes our way, it's from the hand of a good God who can trust us and protect us. So what Romans 8 is all about, just the sovereign hand of God that can protect us and keep us. If God is for us, who can be against us? I'm convinced that neither death, nor height, nor lame angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 38-39. Romans 8:28 has two conditions, right? God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. And that's exactly the same thing here in Psalm 91. As it says even right there in verse 9, because... Um, not verse 9, verse 14. Because He holds fast to me in love, right? To those who love God. Right? When, when there's a love for God, there's a promise of protection from God. And to those who are called according to His purpose, Romans 8.28 says that, because He knows my name, comes also there in verse 14, exactly parallel. Because we know who God is, and because we have placed our trust in there, there comes a protection from the hand of God. The protection spans the spectrum from stubbing your toe, verse 12, to protection from all evil, verse 10. Okay. Now at this point you might be thinking, there's a problem here, Steve. And what's the problem? Do you sense the problem? Maybe you haven't sensed the problem. Yeah, some bad things still befall those who take refuge in the Lord. Um, John Piper explained the difficulty in his Desiring God blog a few weeks ago. Remember, we've memorized Psalm 91 because they're the fighter verses stemming from Bethlehem Baptist Church where John Piper used to be the preaching pastor there. Now he's going to do some more global things, still involved in that ministry for sure. Um, But he said this, As a church, we are memorizing Psalm 91 again. They've got like a five-year rotation through these psalms. They're going through it again. Part of our fighter verse program, again, we face the same, the seeming unreality of these promises. Ordinary readers start to stumble and need help, at least I do. And here are the sorts of promises we're memorizing. And he goes through these promises. And he says, does Psalm 91 mean that those who trust God won't be snared, won't get a disease, won't fall in battle, won't experience evil, won't lose tent mates due to the plague, won't crash against a stone, will always be delivered and protected? Right, in other words, you see the problem? What happens to the military man who, who really is trusting the Lord and gets blown up by an IED on the road? Or gets shot down in battle? Does this mean that all the, whatever, 5,000 military people who've perished in Iraq were not dwelling in God? I put an email out recently about Emma Breckenridge diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. She's in the hospital today. Um, just they start to put that under control. Does that mean that she or her family has not been dwelling in God because a plague has befallen them? Does it mean that those who visit the emergency room aren't refuging in God? Does it mean that victims of crime haven't made the Lord their fortress? Does it mean that those who die young never really trust the Lord? Of course, it doesn't mean that. Okay, And let me just think and show you how, how a good way to solve this problem is. Piper goes on in his article to talk about Jesus. The temptation of Jesus, with which uh, Darren read for us this morning. Remember when he's in the wilderness, he's tempted. What, is, what does the devil do? He quotes right here from verses 11 and 12. And he takes it totally, exactly 100% uh, protection. And it says, um, jump off, throw yourself off, off of this. And he will command his angels concerning you to guide you in all your ways. On their hands they'll bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Satan took Psalm 91, 11, and 12 as God's absolute protection upon the Messiah. Jesus then, what did He do? He took the whole Scripture and said, no, you should not tempt the Lord your God. 
Don't put him to the test. See, what Jesus was doing was putting the whole scope of the Bible um, together rather than just one verse taken to the extreme. And I think that's what we need to see with the promise of Psalm 91. Take the whole, whole Bible into account. Let the whole Bible govern everything. And Piper continues, Instead of following Satan's use of Psalm 91, Jesus embraced the path of suffering. Thorns penetrated his scalp, the whip lacerated his back, the rod struck his head, the nails pierced his hand, the spear severed his side, and he was killed by his enemies. So clearly the seemingly face value meaning of Psalm 91 does not come true even for the most godly person who ever lived. Now that's not at all to deny the truthfulness of Psalm 91. Okay? Because Jesus experienced Psalm 91 in his life. Uh, on one occasion he's preaching in Nazareth, Luke chapter 4, right after the temptation. His first sermon come back home and preached, and they were so filled with wrath at what Jesus said that they took him to the brow of the hill, going to throw him down so as to stone him. And it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 30, passing through their midst, he went away. He just passed through the midst. He had a whole crowd taking Jesus by the hand, and he just kind of left them. I think that's the sovereign hand of God that was protecting Jesus. Another occasion, he was in the temple speaking with the religious leaders. Make a statement upon his own eternality. The, the Jews picked up stones to kill him. And it says in John 9.59 that he hid himself and went out of the temple. That, that, that's like me, okay? Saying something, you get mad, you get some stones, you pick them up, and I like, I like hide in this back room over here and you can't find me. How can that be? Except the sovereign hand of God protecting Jesus. Several occasions, Jews tried to arrest him, but God's sovereign hand was upon him that prevented him from doing so. And so, when they were seeking to arrest him, John 7, verse 30, no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Or John 8, 20, Jesus spoke the words in the treasury, taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And, and then I love even what it says in um, Matthew 21. This has just come to my mind. In, in Matthew 21, when they're thinking about arresting Jesus. Um, they've been there for quite some time trying to figure out, I'm sorry, Matthew 26, verse 1. They're trying to figure out what to do. When Jesus finished all these sayings, He said to the disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. He says, my hour is done. I'm going to be captured. And it says in verse 3, then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace and the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill Him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar amongst the people. See what's happening? They wanted to arrest him, wanted to arrest him, wanted to arrest him, but his hour hadn't come. Jesus said, my hour has now come. They said, well, we're not going to arrest him now. And what they do? They arrest him at that very moment. Psalm 91 is just speaking of the sovereign hand of God in all things. And when his time was up, he knew it was. John 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, referring to his death. And though the promises of Psalm 91 taken to the extreme fall short because indeed he was caught in the snare of the religious leaders. He was taken by night and arrested. The crowds did stand tall and demand he be crucified. And evil did fall upon Jesus. And no angel came to rescue him on the cross. It's not to say Psalm 91 is not true. Psalm 91 is true throughout his whole life. And God was still protecting him and guiding him through the crucifixion. So I think what you need to see is in Psalm 91 is not a word of absolute promise for all time for everyone who dwells in God. In some ways, it's like Proverbs. General truths reflect the generalities of life. Now, it is true that Christians will suffer fewer diseases because of the way they choose to live. They'll live a righteous way. Christians will live longer, be blessed with longer life because of the dangers that they are kept from. Christians will face less anxiety than the ungodly, knowing God's sovereign control over all things. Christians will be spared the consequences of evil and wickedness because the protections that are around them. But we face many of the same tragedies as well. Christians are swept away by tsunamis, killed by random acts of violence, have their homes burned down. But in all these things, we know and can trust that there is a sovereign God who's got all things to bring good upon our lives. Uh, Warren Wearsby sets it straight. He, he's got a, a good quote which I think is excellent. When the child of God is in His will, He's immortal until His work is done. Right? Think about that. If you're in the will of God, you are immortal until the work is done. You can go into Muslim-affected areas and preach the Gospel and you're immortal. You're protected until God says, okay, your time is up. 
It says in Revelation 6 that He's got His martyrs numbered. And there may be times when our number's up, but it's under God's sovereign hand. You know, it's true of Jesus. He was under divine protection until the Lord knew His says work was done. Paul was under the same sovereign hand of God. Remember when Paul came to Corinth for the first time? Whenever he went any place, he preached the gospel, right? And the, the Jews rejected it, so he turned to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, sometimes they rejected it. The Jews stirred up a mob and then he, they persecuted him and he had to run to the next city. Well, when he came to Corinth, same thing. The Jews opposed him and reviled him and rejected him. And, but some believed, even the ruler of the synagogue believed in Jesus. Typically, Though that the synagogue would still get up and run Paul out of town, but his fate in Corinth was different. Listen what the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision. Acts eighteen, nine and ten. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. You see the sovereignty of God in two senses, right? You see the sovereignty of God in protecting Paul. He says, don't fear, I've got you. You're going to be okay. You just, you just stay here and you keep preaching because I've got a lot of other people who are mine who need to hear the Gospel and be saved. Sovereignty of God in their life, sovereignty of God in His life. Psalm 91, all over that. And indeed, if you are a believer in Christ, if you've made the Lord your refuge, if you've made Him your dwelling place, the shelter of your Most High, you can trust the Lord to protect you. You are immortal until your work is done. So, that should encourage you. Go out and be bold. Take risks for God because they're not a risk in His perspective. You should trust the promise of Psalm 91. Yeah. I spoke earlier about how good it would be for all you parents to memorize Psalm 91. Let me give you an application if you do. Uh, I remember when I was a young boy, I faced fears. Uh, especially I remember sometimes fears at night. And I remember my dad coming into my room and... Um, like I remember one time, uh, you know, it's, you probably don't remember this, Dad. I remember, I remember one time I was in bed and I, I slept in a room with my brother. And I was convinced that a burglar was in our room and he was walking across the floor. <laughs> and and, he, and he, he'd walk across the floor. This burglar would. He'd just go like this. And I remember one time my dad laid me down and was right with me and he said, What you hear? Said, I hear it now. I hear it now. And my brother's in the next bed going, I was hearing his snoring, his breathing, and thinking that was a, like a burglar walking across our yard. I was scared. Do you remember that? I'm not sure you ever remember that. I remember it. Okay, you remember it different. <laughs> well, I know I got it right, so. <laughs> I remember that one of the things that my dad used to do for me is we'd pray the Lord's Prayer. Right? Let's you're scared. You, hey, let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, everyone, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our trespassing debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And I remember there was a calming effect that was upon me. And I think the reason why we prayed that is because that's the only Scripture you knew. I mean, you probably knew some more. But that was we weren't trained biblically at that time a lot. But think about parents when you come in and deal with your kids. And they're scared because of burglars walking across the road. Okay, walking across the room or because they heard something. Think, how different would it be if you prayed Psalm 91 with them? He who dwells, take your child in your arm, and they're in the bed. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions, and under His wings you will find refuge. And verse 5, right? You will not fear the terrors of the night, nor the air that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. How much more appropriate that psalm to pray with your children, huh? I just press Psalm 91 upon you in, in application. Help us in our fears. It's good for you to pray. 
Parents, I know that you have fears too. You have anxieties. In fact, our, our vacation, we'd planned to come back um, Sunday night, last Sunday night. And uh, through some circumstance, we had to change our, our plans. We didn't come back until Thursday night. And um, what it caused, it caused me to spend a few days in the library studying Psalm 91 so as to kind of make up that time in order to be prepared for today. And I remember that night, I didn't sleep very well. And I, I, I told Yvonne, I said, my vacation's over. And this is whatever, a week and a half before vacation was. And she said, isn't it ironic that you're preparing Psalm 91 and you're having problems sleeping because of your anxiety and preparing Psalm 91? Right? You catch that? I'm just saying, parents, you will have anxieties in life. And Psalm 91 is a good psalm just to repeat in your minds to help with the anxieties of life. It's good for your kids, good for you. All right, well, let's, let's start dealing with some examples of what God has done in some of these verses. I'm just going to take some real topically, really quickly in some regard. Uh, we could step through verses 3 to 16, but that's going to take way too long. All right, uh, I'm prepared to do that, but we're going to go more quickly. That's what happens when you have three weeks to prepare a message. Right? I've got two messages. And it wouldn't make sense to, to jump next week. I really got to get through this. So let's just start thinking about this. Here it is. It, God may not in every instance protect you. Psalm 91 may not absolutely be true in every circumstance. But you know what? He can and He has done this in many ways, many times. Okay? You catch what I'm saying? I'm saying, let's look at Psalm 91. Let's think about ways in which God has done that exactly to know that God has the power to do that for us and our lives. So, say for instance, you look at verse 3, it talks about an enemy sneaks up to you unseen, like a, a, a bird hunter, the fowler, walks through the field stirring up things, just trying to find them, right? Walking through the field trying to find the birds so they can blast the birds. Has God ever protected anybody from a, an army that's hunting somebody? My mind raced to uh, David. Saul is chasing him in the wilderness. And remember where David was? Where was David? Hiding in the cave. And, and do you remember even what happened in 1 Samuel 24? Who came into the cave? Saul himself came into the cave and he went to relieve himself. It might mean he slept. It might mean something different. Okay, I won't, I won't get into that. But, but anyway, David was there and his man and so David snipped off a little bit of his garment. And then Saul went out. Rather than finding him, if Saul would have seen him there in the cave, what could he have done? Oh, we found him! Tweet, tweet, come over here! David's right here in the cave! And David made trapped. But instead, I think God protected him in many ways. Psalm 57, the psalm he wrote, just about being protected from Saul in the cave. And you can... Read it, but it says in Psalm 57, verse 6, they, they set a net for my steps and my soul is bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Thousands may fall at your side. Ten thousand in your hand, you only see the recompense of the wicked. And he was, he was saved out of that. He, he sought refuge in the shadow of the wings of God and he was saved from the snare of the fowler. God can, can save even if a guy hunting you comes into the same small room where you are. All right? What about deadly pestilence? God can deliver you from the deadly pestilence. Can you think of any time where people are saved from deadly pestilence? Probably some things are running in your mind. I know what runs in my mind is Numbers 21. Remember when the people of Israel were smitten by the snakes and they were dying? And so what did God do? He told Moses, set up this Nehushtan is really what it is. It's a, it's a bronze thing with a snake. And just look at the snake and when you look at it, you'll be healed. And God healed all those who looked at the serpent. The deadly pestilence came upon Israel. God provided a way of escape. Mere glance at the, at the bronze serpent. And their pestilence went away. God can heal any disease like that. God can heal Emma Breckenridge. Okay? God can heal any forms of disease. He can do that miraculously. Now, often He doesn't, but we know that He can and we can trust Him. How about verse 5? You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. It's talking probably about a military attack at night. Can you think about when God 
protected from a military attack at night? Well, my mind comes the history of Judah when Sennacherib, king of Assyria, who had just wiped out Israel, was coming down to wipe out Judah as well. And there was Hezekiah who trusted in the Lord. He said in 2 Kings 19, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, You are God, You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline Your ear, O Lord. Hear and open Your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear the words of Sennacherib which he has sent to mock the living God. I'm not sure if you remember the story. Sennacherib came and said, Why, Judah, are you trusting in the Lord? Israel didn't trust in the Lord. Or Israel did, and they got wiped out. I'm going to wipe you out as well. And Hezekiah just, just prayed this prayer and even prayed, So now, O Lord, save us, please, from the hand of all the kings of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Hezekiah, they're boldly saying, I'm going to trust in the Lord on this one. Totally and completely. And do you remember what happened? 185 Assyrians were destroyed in the night. Turns Sennacherib away. He says, this God is too big for me. Though he'd flaunted, he'd killed all the gods and destroyed everybody except the Lord. He couldn't do that. And he went home. Psalm 91 in action. Hezekiah trusting the Lord. And even God can kill 185,000 wicked people so that no evil would befall you. How about verse 6? The pestilence that stalks in darkness. Anything come to mind? I think of the plagues. I mean, just think of all the, the ten plagues of Egypt. This, this pestilence coming or the destruction at noonday. Just, just some kind of a plague comes down. And, and what's very interesting about some of the plagues, I think about four plagues, is that the plagues came upon Egypt, but it didn't come upon the house of Israel. That is God's sovereign hand protecting Israel like He protected the Anderson's house, like He protected this house from the fire, just protecting them. So the flies, when they came, swarms of insects upon Egypt. No flies were found in Goshen where the Israelites were, but they were all over Egypt. Or when the pestilence hit the livestock, the horses, donkeys, camels, herds, and flocks all died. Except none of the Israelites' livestock died. Or hail? Only the Egyptians. Only those who didn't trust in the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord, God said, you stay inside. And that's the way you trust the Lord. To obey what He says. He said, get inside. Everyone who didn't stay outside, crops, servants, livestock, all dead. Or the death of firstborn. Isn't that? God goes through the whole region and kills everybody who didn't trust in the Lord. How do you trust in the Lord? By taking the blood and putting it over the mantle of your house. God destroyed everyone else. So trusting in the Lord, God is fully capable. He said, you obey Me, you submit to Me, you, you love Me, you put your refuge in Me, and God will protect you from all types. Of... He's able to do that. He's done that in the past with the plagues. What about this? Verse 7, A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. It will not come near you. Only look at your eyes. I mean, lots of examples from the Bible come up. That's the Assyrians. Or I'm thinking about the Red Sea. Right? You remember that? Israel had all these plagues and finally Pharaoh said, get out! And so they, they left out and they got out. They, they got right at the corner of the Red Sea and then God hardened Pharaoh's heart and so Israel or Egypt came pursuing after them. And what did God do? He put this pillar of cloud and fire between them so to stay the army so they couldn't attack them. He said, put your hand over the Red Sea. The Red Sea parted like this and Israel starts passing through there and then the cloud lifts and Israel pursues and then what happens when, when Egypt pursues, when Egypt is in the water, what happens? Water comes along upon them and they all die. And what did Israel do? You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. It's exactly what happened when thousands fell there in the Red Sea. Israel was safe and sound. How about angels? Right, Verse 11 and 12, guarding you up. New Testament often speaks about angels or servants designated to serve us. Hebrews 1.14 They're ministering spirits sent out to render service for those who inherit salvation. Jesus described the angels in Matthew 18, verse 10 regarding the little ones. Their angels always see the face of God who's in heaven. Here they are. Angels are gazing upon the face of God kind of like maybe a, a dog does when it's kind of waiting for a command and you say, go! And then the dog goes. You ever been at SeaWorld maybe and seen dolphins or been at a dolphin show, you know, and the, the trainer goes like this and says, woo, 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 
You know, and the dolphin goes, woo, and then it goes, woo, 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 and comes back and gets its sardines, right? That's where the angels are. They're right there before the face of God, waiting for Him just to dispatch them so as to help and protect His servants. You never know how much angels have been protecting you. Worse, the unsaved, those who don't dwell in the shelter of the Most High, have no angelic cover. What about trading upon the lion and the adder? Okay, kids. Anyone tread upon the lion? Can you think of anybody like that? Safe from lions. Safe from lions. David. Good. Who said that? Good job, Andrew. You can go first with your treasures today, okay? David was there. Daniel was there. Did you say Daniel or David? I heard Daniel. You said Daniel. That was very good. I'm thinking Daniel, right? <laughs> I'm thinking Daniel, okay? I heard Daniel. I heard Daniel. Okay. What? Think about Daniel, right? Because of his God, he's thrown into the pit with the hungry lions. And yet God protected him all night long. He probably used a lion for a pillow. Probably what he did. And then I'm not sure if you remember, but when he was released, the king threw the others in and they were eaten just like that. Before they even touched the ground, as I remember. These promises of protection are amazing. But the biggest promise of all comes of that of ultimate salvation. I think that's what verse 16 is talking about. Of long life I will satisfy him. Just in this life, he's going to be satisfied with his life. And also just for eternity and show Him my salvation. Now, that could be temporal salvation. That could be eternal salvation. I'm just going to save the one who dwells and trusts in me. And that is the message of the Bible, right? Believe and trust in Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And so I just, I just commend Psalm 91 to you and, and just say that, that God is able to protect us. There's one last illustration, okay? Um, I'm thinking about two different groups of people, okay? And I'll just go through this quick. I won't go all the details. But I'm thinking about um, the pilgrims. You guys remember the pilgrims, right? Came over. We celebrate every Thanksgiving. You guys know all about the pilgrims, right? I'm thinking also about a group called the Donner Party. Who knows about the Donner Party? Some of you, okay, some of you do. Now, that's one of the books I read on vacation was about the Donner Party. And uh, the Donner Party... Um, was part of the migration to the West. They're trying to go to California. Went in this big um, wagon. I'm not sure what you call it. A wagon brigade of maybe 100 wagons. A wagon train. Yeah, about 100 of them going up. And normally the route was that you went and then went up north of Salt Lake City and went up through Oregon and then you came down. And they got word of this shortcut, this Hastings cutoff, that they could go like right across Salt Lake City and then up and down the Sierras. Well, what happened to them was everybody else split off, and I don't know, maybe 10 wagons? I'm not sure how many. Some, something like that. Of, of 500 people traveling, 100, 100 in the Donner Party maybe? I'm guessing, okay. 80 or 90 in the Donner Party going and trying to get across the, this way like this. And everyone else goes that way. And uh, what happened was just God's hand of providence was against them. I, I think they're rebellious and not going the way everybody else is. I think Donner Party also, a lot of them were were ritzy and kind of affluent and thought, oh, we can do it our way. Just trust in the wisdom of man rather than trusting in God's wisdom. Went across and, and along the way they faced difficulties going across the salt flat. Some of their cows became crazy and kind of ran off. And when they got to the Sierras, and the cows were their, their food and their help and they carried the wagons. When they got to the, the Sierras, it wasn't as advertised. It took them 28 days to go 21 miles. So a long time, they're really caught up and trying to, trying to go. And then there was a time where they maybe could have gone, but then, then they stopped. But then this storm, I think it's providential, storm came in of God that was early. You know, it was like a storm in October that came rather than normally it comes at the end of November. And they started getting snow. And it, it snowed and snowed and snowed and snowed. And they weren't really ready for it. And what happened was the snow, eventually that winter was a hard snow, 30 feet of snow. And when the snow first started coming, they didn't have their cattle rounded up, and so their cattle got all buried in the snow, and they lost their cattle. They lost their food. And half of them starved to death on the mountain trying to get out. And there were some rescue people that tried to come back. It was a fascinating story. 
But I think that those are some people who didn't trust in the Lord. There was no unity there at all because even some of the, when they're in the Sierras, they finally camped like seven miles from different places and different people. You'd think they'd huddle together to try to help. But I think they were trusting themselves, not trusting the Lord. The hand of the Lord was against them. The pilgrims, on the other hand, I think all of us know the providential hand of God with them. They came over to America on a dangerous sea voyage. No one died in the sea voyage. I think one person did. Um, maybe got drunk and went overboard, I kind of think. Um, but no one died of sickness, which was kind of unheard of in those days. Uh, there's great unity among the pilgrims. Right? Remember when they were even uh, swayed north, uh, which I think in some sense was providential because they really unified and they said, we need to stay together on this thing. The whole story about... They land in this place then. I think God blew them north to land in this place where the Indians had all died out from a plague. These were vicious um, Indians. And so they got to stay on this land which was cultivated and ready to go but had been vacated a couple years earlier because of this plague. They didn't have to contend with fierce Indians because those were the fierce ones. If they'd have landed there, whatever, five years before, they'd have killed them because they were fierce Indians. And then comes Squanto, right? The English-speaking Indian. What? What greater providence is that? Providence is that that the Indian from that tribe got captured, taken to English-speaking lands in, in England, and then came back and could speak them English and could help them survive. I think you know the story well enough. I think those are two different scenarios where you see the pilgrims definitely set out and said, "Our trust in the Lord. We're we're heading out for religious freedom." The Donner Party were financially motivated. They were ungodly. Uh, very little about God until the end when they start starving to death. And I think it's a picture of God's sovereign hand upon one group of people protecting them and the other is God's sovereign hand against people who are trusting in their own strength. And I just say, you want to be a pilgrim. You don't want to be in the Donner Party. So let us trust in the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that Psalm 91 might be precious to all of us as been new to me, so I've just memorized it this past month and a half. Knew a little bit about it, but I'm thankful for all these promises and would pray that you would help us as people to really trust in you and to not fear the future, not fear the pestilence, not fear the danger, not fear the economy, not fear the politicians, not fear the immorality around us, but trust as we dwell in a shelter of righteousness, we can endure and we'll be protected and we'll be safe. So help us, O Lord, in these things, we pray. Amen.